0: We're in 2 Samuel 11. A couple weeks ago we looked at Mephibosheth and how he was grateful to David for his kindness to him. David sought out Jonathan's sons, see if there was anyone still alive in Jonathan's family, that he may honor them because of his great relationship with Jonathan. And Meshivasheth was the only son that was still alive. And he was granted to eat at the king's table. As royalty. For all his days remaining. And Meshivasheth, he humbly accepted David's kindness and honoring of him. And when we look at people like Mishibosheth, I discovered I'm a better giver than I am a receiver. I don't know how to act when people bless me with good things or gifts or whatever, and I'm learning to say thank you (laughs) instead of, oh no, you shouldn't have done it. Well, they wanted to do it, let them do it. I'm trying to be gracious when I receive help or kindness from people. I notice when my children or grandchildren say thank you. As parents, we notice that kind of thing. I'm trying desperately to implement, you're welcome, instead of, eh, it was nothing. No, you're welcome. I notice little common courtesies from waitresses or waiters. Putting courtesies into practice helps us. It helps us to be grateful. It helps us to notice when others are kind towards us. But Hanun, the Amorite, Ammonite, I should say, king that we looked at last week, he was rude. He treated David's messengers shamefully, and they were there to comfort him and and came in peace. But because of his rudeness to David's messengers, cutting half their beard off and their garments off, and uh, the people of Ammon go to war, hire Syria to go to war all against Israel, all because of an act of rudeness. And Ammon and the Syrians suffered a great defeat, many lives lost because their king was rude. Our station in life, our plight, can be determined by our attitude towards those that we're kind to. We're to be kind to all people. Even those that we don't necessarily get along with all that well. But Hanun was a proud, arrogant king and he suffered greatly, he and his people, because he was too proud to be thankful was lame in the feet he couldn't walk and he was lowly but he gladly accepted david's hospitality and he enjoyed the great blessings of eating at the king's table each and every day and i say all this to point out we as christians should be known for our kindness to all people we encounter But the lame and the lowly are the ones that are most likely to receive and appreciate our gracious deeds. So what does that say to us? Do not fall into the attitude of helping those who help me. (laughs) uh, We can sometimes consider that when we want to help somebody. Well, what will I get in return? Try to avoid that attitude. But we looked at David's kindness. And he had a trait of kindness. He wouldn't even come against Saul who pursued him. And it caused God to say of David, he's a man after my own heart. But this morning we're going to look at David's greatest sin. And he committed this after... Consolidating his power after being very popular with the people, David sins. 2 Samuel 11, we find David, he's about 50 years old. He's been king for probably 15 to 20 years. And he's a popular king. The people love him. So let's read 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 15. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a beautiful woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and, she, and he lay with her. And she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab, saying, "'Send me Uriah the Hittite.' And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to David, he asked <clears throat> how Joab was doing and now and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, "'Go down to your house and wash your feet,' So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and he did not go inside his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark of Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house, eat and drink, and to lie with my wife? As you live, as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And that evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened when David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah, and he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die." What a story. Notice it's springtime when kings go out to battle. They go out to take lands and they go out to take kingdoms or go out to defend their kingdom. But David, he delegates Joab, his general, to battle to represent Israel. He stays home. David is neglecting his duty as Israel's king. He takes the road of comfort and ease, and he stays at home. My mama, and I said mama, had a word for this kind of behavior. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. We heard things like this. She would also say things like, be sure your sin will find you out. You know, thanks, Mom. Uh, But verse 2, it says, then it happened. David gets up from his bed. He can't sleep that night for whatever reason. And it's obviously in the night. And from the roof, his own roof, he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. Now, there would have been no interest on David's part in Bathsheba if she had been the ugly duckling, but she wasn't. She was beautiful to behold. Her position, her station in life, she was of royalty, you might say. Her father, Elam, was one of David's mighty men. Her grandfather was Ahithophel, one of David's chief counselors. So she had royal bloodlines. But she's married to a Hittite. Uriah the Hittite. But he is a great man of character. And David is king. When he looked at Bathsheba, he liked what he saw. As a rule, men are enticed, we're excited, by what we see in the physical. Women are a little more mature. They seem to be attracted to other things than just pure physical looks. But Bathsheba, she must be flattered by the fact that Israel's popular king is attracted to her. We will look into that attraction in a few moments. But David, he seduces Bathsheba, and we don't read of any resistance by Bathsheba on her part. It almost appears she is available for adultery. Scripture is silent on this and about her motives and but I'm not the first one having read many people's comments on this I'm not the first one to suspect her motives. Some time has gone by and Bathsheba sends word to David I'm with child I'm pregnant. And there's at least one month that goes by before Bathsheba knows that she's pregnant. Where's Uriah? He's at war. He's away fighting for Israel. And I believe there's one month of a sexual terse or whatever you want to call it going on between David and Bathsheba. It's an ongoing thing. David discovers she's pregnant, and now he's out to do what we would call damage control. He calls Uriah home from battle. Have him visit his wife, and his sin will be covered. And this is David's thinking. He's trying to cover his sin. David, he greets Uriah. How goes the battle? You're a good soldier, Uriah. Take this gift of food and go on to your house. Now, how far did he have to go? Next door. Uriah and Bathsheba's house was next door to King David's house. But David's scheme, it doesn't work. Uriah sleeps. He spends the night at the king's porch, right on his uh, patio, you might say, along with the other servants, and that's where Uriah spends the night. And David is disappointed. His plan has failed. David doesn't stop there, though. The next day, he gets Uriah drunk. And when drunk or under the influence, our resistance is low. But not with Uriah. Uriah Even though he's intoxicated, he will not enjoy the pleasures of home or wife. And he sleeps again on David's David's porch with the other servants. So David, in his own mind, will now resolve to killing Uriah, all in an effort to cover his sin. David, in his attempts to cover his guilt, his sin, will murder a loyal warrior. We see David going into what we call a downward spiral. His sin now has full grip on him. Cover my sin at all cost. In fact, regardless of the cost, even murder. Now, abortion in our day, many times, is simply a method of covering sin. Not willing to deal with the consequence of sin. David will receive forgiveness for his sin... And so can anyone that has participated in any way with an abortion. It's forgivable. Don't be caught in the guilt of sin. Just humbly repent. But David has taken the path of least resistance. And it leads him to murder. Murder. Can't express enough how God is able to forgive even the most gross of sins, murder. And in that day, there was no sacrifice for murder. There was no forgiveness. But God sends Nathan to David to tell him that his sin is forgiven. So David received his forgiveness. So don't carry the guilt of sin Regardless how severe that sin might have been, there is forgiveness. But David, he's king. He's been king for a while. He has learned how to get things done. So David writes a letter to Joab, his general. Put Uriah in the hottest point of battle so that he may be killed. That letter is delivered by Uriah to his commander Joab. In 2 Samuel, uh, we'll finish the chapter now, 16 through 27. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling the matter of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath Rises, and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? <clears throat> who struck Amalek the son of uh, Jerusalem? Was it not a woman who cast down a piece of a millstone on him from the wall, so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah, the Hittite, is also dead. So if somebody questions why Joab did this, just tell David Uriah died in the battle, and that will make everything okay. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab sent to him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out, to us on the field, then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David sent messengers, thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, so encourage him." And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. David's sin has now spread. It involves others. It involves Joab, his general. And it involves Joab's reputation as a commander of the fighting force. And people are going to ask, Joab, why did you allow Uriah to be killed so needlessly? But David has a word for you, uh, Joab. It's okay. Do not be discouraged. These things happen. In other words, David is going to excuse Joab if anybody asks a question. But Joab, strengthen your attack against the city and take it. Just go ahead, fight valiantly. Meanwhile, back home, Bathsheba heard her husband was dead, and she goes through a time of mourning. And when her time of mourning is over, David takes her as his wife. And David looks good in the eyes of the people. What a gracious king we have, taking care of his own. He even takes the widow of one of his fallen soldiers. However, the thing that David has done, don't miss it, displease the Lord. What's been done in secret, David, will now be shouted from the housetop. One of the great mysteries of this uh, story of David and his adultery is the silence, the lack of comments of Bathsheba's behavior. We're not told what she thinks, her motives or anything. But let me say this, Israel is a society today, and particularly then, of extreme modesty, extreme modesty. I ask you a question, why is Bathsheba bathing in open view? Did Bathsheba resist this, David? Or was this sexual affair consensual? It appears that this affair was ongoing at least for a month or so until Bathsheba sends word to David, I am with child. David's got a problem now. And he sends for Uriah to come back to Jerusalem to the king's house. But Uriah sleeps at the door. He doesn't go in the... To his own home. He sleeps there with David's servants. But who lives next door? Bathsheba. There's no word or any attempt by Bathsheba, knowing her husband is next door, to go to him. She doesn't go and say, come on home, honey, you know. There's no word from her, and that is peculiar to say the least. Uriah is at the door of David's house, and he's there, not one night, but several nights. Uriah is very loyal to David, very loyal to Israel, even though he is a Hittite. Uriah, he will not be distracted even when intoxicated. Speaks great of his character, by the way. Intoxicated by the king. And he still will not go in and take comfort of his wife or his home. But Bathsheba, she does not seek out her husband, who is camped out next door peculiar behavior. Now I have my own opinion concerning Bathsheba. I think she is a willing participant in this adulterous relationship with David. There's no mention of her resisting and I think personally that she's delighted to be carrying David's child in her womb. David, when he's confronted by the prophet Nathan about his, his adultery, he declares, I have sinned against the Lord. And we'll get into that next week. But David, a man after God's own heart, he has spiraled down completely Into the depths of sin even murder murder that there was no sacrifice for forgiveness God is forgiving but that you couldn't just offer a sacrifice for murder under the law there was no sacrifice for murder and David finds himself in a terrible place he has too much sin guilt to be happy with God but too much of God in him to to be happy with sin. He's miserable. And I suggest to you that a backslidden Christian is one of the most miserable creatures on earth. (laughs) When we're away from God, we're miserable. Uriah, a man of character, trusted by David, to carry his own execution letter to joab the general and david knows that uriah will dare not open that letter and read its contents he delivers it to joab david trusts uriah completely and it's sad that a loyal warrior, one of David's great men, could not trust his king. The irony here is severe. Joab, David's general, he's well aware of David's premeditated murder. He, he knows David wants Uriah dead. And he wants it recorded. He wants the record to show that he is not a haphazard general. And David assures Joab, do not let this thing displease you. He's saying to Joab, there's things you don't know right now, but don't be disturbed by all of this. But the murder of Uriah is sorely displeasing to God. Let me read you a verse in 1 Kings 15, 5. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that the Lord commanded him all the days of his life, then except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. It's David's one great black mark on his life that he did Uriah wrong and killed him. But David, in his attempts to cover his adultery, commits murder. Sin is pleasurable. But do not be deceived. Sin leads to death. Satan is not out to give you a bad day if you sin and when you sin. He's out to kill you or cause you to kill someone else. Don't be deceived by the pleasures of sin. Amen. Amen. Let me get you a stand. We'll close in prayer.